Welcome to Crime Wave, a podcast featuring mystery, thriller, and suspense authors and the stories behind their story. Crime Wave is part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network with over 4 million listeners. I'm your host, Bonner Spring, and my guest today is Carol Puglio. Okay, here's something about Carol. A Francophile by the age of 11, Carol dreamed of getting her passport and going to Paris. So after a master's degree in French, she headed to France for her first teaching job, which was a success, obviously, because she taught French and Spanish for 34 years in upstate New York. She also founded an agency that provided translations in over 24 languages. Carol is the author of the acclaimed Watson and, and Black, I'm sorry, I said that wrong, Blackwell and Watson Time Travel Mysteries, traditional police procedurals with its seemingly impossible relationship between a depression era cop and a 21st century journalist. Carol is the president of the Upper Hudson chapter of Sisters in Crime and is a founding member of Sleuths and Sidekicks. Welcome to Crime Wave, Carol. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm look, I've been looking forward to talking to you. Uh, seriously, first things first, I have a serious weakness for time travel books and RSVP to murder with the twists and the turns that um, that you, you write in it um, hits a real sweet spot for me. One reviewer um, called it a mashup between Agatha Christie and a classic holiday movie. Is that an apt description? Yes, I think it is. Um, it's a Christmas mystery. Stephen and Olivia are invited to a Christmas party up at an Adirondack Great Camp. And so there's that side of it, the holiday um, um, decorations and the festive mood and everything. And then I actually was reading a lot of Agatha Christie at the time while I was writing this. So I think a lot of her style maybe seeped into it. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am that it, it came through and people noticed. They certainly did. Now, this is an ongoing series. I think um, this is book four. Is that right? Yes. So I'd love to start by having you introduce your two main characters um, and include the, the time travel aspect that allowed them to meet in the first place. Can you do that? Okay, sure. Um, so um, I based the series on a theory that Einstein had. He thought there was no present, past, or future. He thought all time happened simultaneously, and that if conditions were right, time could fold over and reveal another time that was going on at that time. A lot of, a lot of time there, but hopefully it, that was clear. Um, so I have Stephen and Olivia. Um, they live in the same house, 80 years apart. Of course, they don't know anything about each other, never heard anything about each other. And one night, time folds over in the house, and they see each other across a doorway. So after the shock wears off, and they, they start talking and figuring out what's going on, um, the story sort of takes, takes off from there. So Stephen is um, in 1934. He's a young, um, um, early 30s um, cop in a small town. He's a detective and he's very, um, I sort of had um, um, the, the detective that Maureen Jennings writes, Murdoch, he's, he's in Toronto and um, 
Poirot in mind when I create, created Stephen. He's a nice looking average kind of guy physically, um, but he's quite observant and he uses his little gray cells as Poirot would say. So I don't have the luxury of, you know, DNA or a lot of the modern techniques. He, he does use fingerprints and he's um, um, always, you know, analyzing the crime scene and stuff, but very, very traditional detective with high standards. Um, he follows the rules. He um, never lies. He's um, sort of a, a classic figure. And then Olivia is a free spirit, very modern, uh, 21st century young woman, um, also in her early 30s. She um, had a successful journalism career and then um, sort of fulfilled a dream to own her own business. So a few years ago, she opened a research agency, which for a writer is perfect because anything they have to know, I can say, oh, Olivia just did this project for a client. So that's how she knows this. So that accidentally worked out really well. Um, she had heard about the Einstein series, so she had an idea of what was happening to them. So um, I have her um, as a, you know, a freelance uh, business owner right now. And she also writes uh, travel articles, freelance for several mag uh, magazines. Um, she has a couple of best friends that she talks to all the time. So we get to hear a lot of her thoughts when she does travel into the past. Um, she is fascinated by the golden age of mystery, the golden age of travel, which is smack where Stephen lives. Uh, he, on the other hand, reads science fiction and can't believe he met somebody from the 21st century. So they uh, balance each other very, very well. That's excellent. That was a really good description of everything. Now, so we're in with with RSV to murder. We're in book four. And these uh -huh. guys, they haven't just met. They have a, a bit of a relationship going. How, how has that evolved over time? Well, I I wanted to take my time with this and the whole series, which is going to be seven books, is only going to happen across two years of Stephen's time, 1934 through 1935. I might tip into 1936, but I don't think so. Um, so the first book takes place in February of 1934. That's when they meet, of course and get to know each other. They they figure out how to go back and forth into each other's time, but all they, they, only, they only experiment within the house because they're afraid of what would happen if they leave the house. So they become pretty good friends. They, they get together every night um, after he gets home from work and they, they talk and get to know each other in his kitchen or in her, her kitchen. Um, he is uh, grieving the recent death of his mother. Uh, who he lived with, which was typical of the time. Uh, his father has a big job in the Navy, and he uh, is stationed in uh, Washington. So Stephen misses talking with his mother at night, and he's happy to have Olivia's company. So um, towards the end of the first book, Doorway to Murder, he, he's been investigating this, this whole week. Each book takes a week. Um, He's been investigating the murder of the bank president and the theft of a lot of money. And he reaches a point where he doesn't know who he can trust in his own time. 
So he starts talking with Olivia about the case and she ends up helping solve it. So that's her first dipping her toe into the water of being his partner in crime. Mm -hmm. And as the next couple of books go on, um, she leaves the house in the second book and accidentally befriends his main suspect, which puts her life in, in jeopardy. And then in the third book, Death Rang the Bell, she goes to a Halloween party with him in his time and, and witnesses the crime. So I have multiple plot lines going through all the books. There's the actual murder. Then there's the time travel experiments and all the branches that come off of that. Do they keep to what they guess might be time travel rules or can they break them a little bit? And what would the consequences be? So there's a lot of that. Um, there's the, the plot line with their friendship and then their budding you know, relationship. Um, so I, I'm not sure. Did that answer your question? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that, was, that was great. That was great, Carol. Um, I actually, I got so wrapped up in what you were saying, I've kind of lost my, my train of thought. Um, yeah, it was a really good explanation of sort of who these people are and how they came to be together and, um, and, and so forth and so on. Now, for the the Crime Wave podcast, which is what this is, we often focus on the, the main puzzle, you know, that they need to resolve in this particular mystery. So without giving too much away, um, what's the question at the heart of RSVP to murder? Um, who killed Gil Racine? Um, he is a wealthy, <clears throat> and, and, and why? Um, he's a wealthy New York publisher, extremely wealthy. He publishes one of the most popular fictional, of course, um, newspapers in the city. And he also has a literary imprint. Um, so he has enemies. Um, they're up in the Adirondacks in his great camp. And everyone there, except for Stephen and Olivia, is either family or best friend, his lifelong best friend, a doctor. Um, with one exception, his daughter's boyfriend, um, who wants to marry the daughter, and Gil, will not approve the marriage. Um, so um, at the beginning, um, the first night, he's murdered. And thanks to Olivia's recent research, she figures out what the agent was. And um, they're snowed in at this point. Um, the Adirondacks have something kind of unusual um, a snowstorm, a serious blizzard can appear out of nowhere and dump three, four, five feet in an area and then just go away, like wow. these little micro systems, I guess. So mm. um, by the time everyone gets there, it's been snowing hard and later that night and then the next morning, they're already looking at four feet of snow. So they're they're pretty much trapped. It's kind of a locked room mystery in that sense. So well, the the widow says to Stephen, you know, we don't know when the cops are going to get here. I want you to do an unofficial investigation so that we have something to tell them when they do arrive. So he and Olivia start investigating. That's great. Yes. So that is the that's the question at the heart of the mystery. And I'd like to actually give to everyone who's listening a big shout out for a really wonderful, fully realized setting in this book. 
Um, it's got everything, seriously, everything that we crave in a really great locked room mystery, as Carol said. Um, we've got the blizzard and the closed roads and the dead phone lines and uh, roaring fires, the piano, which plays a big role. And it's in that lovely cover. You can see the piano and lots of suspects and motives all set in this great camp in the Adirondacks. So um, I guess I want to, this is sort of the, the research question. I had to look up, I didn't know anything about great camps and you described them really well, but um, how much research do you need to do? And let's let's divide that into two parts, okay, Carol? The set, this setting generally, and then um, the 1930s part, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, this was, <clears throat> I, I do, first of all, I love research. Um, secondly, I do extremely detailed research into everything, the, the, the time period, the setting, everything, clothes, perfumes, uh, every little thing you can think of. Actually, when I was writing my second book, which took place in April of 1934, I happened to find in a used bookstore a radio guide. Like we have TV guide today. They had radio guide. And I was able to actually have Stephen listen to the exact radio shows that happened during that week in February 1934 at the right time. So I can be a little obsessive about, about research. And I'm sure nobody in the whole world except me knows that those are accurate, you know, paragraphs, but um, I had a lot of fun with it. So um, I, I, I do a lot of research and um, this book was the first time I really broke a, a research rule, if there is such a thing. Um, I found out um, after I wrote this, I, I had trouble getting, I, I modeled the um, the great camp, the the physical front of of the great camp um, after Sagamore. So as Stephen and Olivia pull up, the description in the book looks like what Sagamore looks like. But that's where the authenticity stops. I needed um, all the people to be able to gather in like a great room. And the camps are not like that. Um, I did not go up and visit until after the book was written. So I just created the great camp that I needed for the story. I finally went up this past summer and took a tour one day. And I found out that um, basically Sagamore on the second floor is just all bedrooms. And there were two small rooms downstairs, which I found very disappointing. And I like mine a lot better. But um, I did make a note in the author's notes at the end how I, I broke that particular rule. Um, I did, however, create several outbuildings the way they have. Um, so I lost track of your questions. You had a two-parter. Well, you know, the set, you've really described the setting a lot. Actually, you know what? You've answered both of them because it was, I was wondering particularly, I mean, the you know, the Adirondacks, which I think is sort of your backyard, I think that would be fascinating to do, but the Adirondacks of the 1930s, which you were just describing. And then um, I was, you know, I asked about, um, you know, all of the, um, the the um, the the 1930s part, which I love the piece about the um, about the radio guide. Um, yeah. I think it is kind of difficult sometimes. You, you know, you can reach a uh, you can reach a breaking point with research, and you go, oh well, I'll just do this. There's 
there's one serious setting flaw in my book set in Guatemala that uh -oh. I didn't that I did not find until after the book was already accepted and was at the printers too late, mm. too late to change. But here's the deal. Nobody's called me on it yet. So I don't think anybody actually really knows. Yeah. Um, I suppose if anybody's listening, who's found it, they should get in touch with me and you get a prize <laughs> or, or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, anyhow. Yeah. Research. I, you know, I absolutely love it. It's obvious from the book that you knew exactly what you were talking about. Didn't, um, it was great. Now, um, that, one more question, right. I want to ask about the, um, so, on Crime Wave, we featured stories about all kinds of different puzzle solvers. You know, we've had the police detectives and the PIs and the amateurs and stuff. And there are there are advantages and drawbacks to writing either amateurs or professionals. So what you've got was interesting to me because you've got a policeman from the 1930s and a 21st century journalist. You've already briefly described how their styles are. Um, compatible but um you know how do they how do they coordinate or, or maybe they butt heads from their different perspectives as they're solving the crime well um i've changed things a little bit well i should say their style has evolved in you know early on obviously i you know, I wasn't going to have Olivia Google something because <laughs> the book would be three pages long. So um, when Stephen learns about um, what Google is and what her computer does and stuff, and at one point in the first book, she says, do you want me to look up, you know, something? He says, no, absolutely not. I would feel like I was cheating. And so that took care of that right there. Um, so um, he... He, like I said before, he he uses his powers of observation. He he knows people, and um, I would say that she is very similar in style. Even though she's the amateur and he's the professional, she's she's a trained journalist. So she's she's been trained to read people. She's been trained to ask the right questions, to listen carefully to the answers, to detect lies and hesitations. Um, she's been trained to be observant. Um, she has these different um, uh, skills that allow her to remember things, you know, mnemonics and um, um, different uh, word associations that she doesn't have to take notes at a particular moment. She can replay something later on um, perfectly. So they really complement each other. And the only difference really is that he's he's um, a, a cop and, and she's not. Yeah. Yeah. That really pretty well describes what I was noticing in the book, too. You get you get them coming from their different perspectives, but um, they do. They do have so much in common. Now, um, uh, of course, they solve the crime at the end, which we are not going to discuss on this show. But. <laughs> The no. ending, without saying any more, at the very end, and I, I'm not actually, I don't have the book in front of me right now, but I think it's the last page, maybe even the last sentence. At the end of RSVP to murder, you know exactly how book five will start. Right. Are you, are you working on book five now, Carol? Um, yes, I'm, I'm just starting to put it together. Um, it's, 
should, should I say something about it? Yeah, yeah. I hope that she'll just maybe just share a little bit of a teaser about the setup or something like that. That would be nice. Okay. Well, um, as I said, Stephen's mother passed away just before book one began, and they were more like friends than um, mother and son. And she was a highly successful artist, and she was from Paris. So she raised him to be um, uh, to to speak French. He's perfectly bilingual. Olivia, by the way, also speaks French. And let me just sort of backtrack a second. Before I started book one, I knew what all seven books in the series were going to be about, and I knew how the series would end. So I created certain things in the beginning that I knew I would be using later on. So I also made. Um, Olivia, someone who speaks fluent French, although not quite as well as he does. So um, Stephen's mother, um, I'll say, contacts Stephen yeah. and says that um, she needs his help. And um, briefly what it is, um, Toulouse-Lautrec is a friend of hers as well as a number of the artists who um, frequent Montmartre, um, the artist's area in Paris. And um, Toulouse-Lautrec's, um, one of his favorite models has just been murdered. And the police who in the early 1890s in Paris, they're still kind of getting themselves organized. Um, and quite frankly, um, they figure that an artist model is nothing more than a prostitute and they're not going to waste their time. So they don't bother. They just say, well, it, it must have been an accident or whatever. Um, and um, she was a lovely young girl from the provinces and um, he wants justice for her. And um, Stephen's mother, who in a certain way, knew that she would have a son, you know, who was a cop, said, I know somebody who could help you. So Stephen and Olivia go to Paris um, to work for Toulouse-Lautrec to find the killer. Ooh, how ex that sounds absolutely wonderful. All <laughs> right, you guys have been warned. All right. Um, so um, before we go off the air, Carol, can you tell everyone listening where they might find you online or if you're going to be doing anything in person um, before your book? Um, well, first of all, um, my website is um, actually I'm redoing the style right now, but my events page is up to date. Um, I just finished um, a few months of quite a few in-person um, events. So I don't have anything in person for a little while, but I do have several online events coming up. I have a big conference that I co-chair at the beginning of March called Murderous March. You can find that about on my website. Um, I'm teaching a class on write, mystery writing in London, although it's going to be on Zoom, uh, February 7th, I think. Um, so I do have a few things coming up in early um, 2024, and That's I have a Facebook page, and um, I'd love for people to sign up for my newsletter. That's probably the best way to um, find me and, and know what's going on and keep in touch with um, what's happening with the next book. 
And I also share some pictures every now and then uh, as I'm writing the book, like um, in, in RSVP to Murder, I, I sent the people in my newsletter the gown that Olivia wears at that first party and RSVP. So that was kind of a, a sneak peek. And they always get a sneak peek of my cover. Um, That's, yeah. Wow. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, really, um, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the book a whole lot. Like I said, oh, the, the, um, the, the combination of time travel and the, the sort of the riff on the holiday holiday party gone really, really wrong uh, was was great. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Carol, and best wishes as time goes by for RSVP to murder and anything else that you're writing in. When Stephen and Olivia go on their next adventure, I hope you'll come back and tell us more about the, the new story. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun talking.